Welcome everyone to our Friday morning sessions at our Biblical Formation for Witness conference. My name is Sarah Bixler. I'll be the moderator for this morning. And I serve as the assistant to the director, Dr. Daryl Guter, for our Center for Church Planting and Revitalization here at Princeton Seminary. Um, I'm going to be seated now because the idea of this session is to have it as like a roundtable discussion or a fishbowl, sometimes it's called. And so well, who we have seated around this table this morning are moderators and speakers. And the conversation will ripple out to the entire room during each session today. That's how we've structured it, so that this is not going to be uh, your typical academic conference where someone is presenting from the front and maybe you can ask a question in the last five minutes. <laughs> uh, we're going to be much more conversational than that um, because, as Dr. Bones reminded us last evening, um, doing missional hermeneutics means listening to different perspectives on the text, and that's what we intend to do today. Um, we also believe that you can't do missional hermeneutics without attention to contexts. That's why our subtitle for this conference is Missional Hermeneutics in Context. And so this morning we're going to work with two different congregational contexts. First, we're going to hear from Dr. Timothy Sloan about the church he pastors and how he has been working at biblical formation for witness in that context. And then in our second session this morning, we will hear from Dr. Thomas Daniel about his congregation and how he has been working at biblical formation for witness there. So let me begin by introducing our um, focus speaker this, for this morning's hour and a half session. Dr. Timothy Sloan, seated to my right, is the senior pastor of the Luke Church in Humble, Texas, and he is an emerging voice in the African-American church. He's known for developing strategic faith-based partnerships between national and community organizations. Dr. Sloan has degrees from Morehouse College, his bachelor's there, from this institution, his MDiv, and from Colgate-Rochester-Crozer Divinity School, his doctorate of ministry. He is the author of the book, Stand, Learning to Lead Through Conflict, which is the transparent story of how Dr. Sloan led his church through a transition from a traditional congregation to an emerging model. Timothy is married to Sonia, who is an orthopedic surgeon, and they have three children, Sarah, Soren, and Timothy John. So, Tim, we're delighted to have you here this morning, and we look forward to hearing from you and, and interacting with you. Um, so I'm going to begin by just engaging Tim a little bit so we can hear about his context, and then after a little while, I'll open it to some interaction from um, our other speakers and moderators who are here today. And then um, after that, our conversation will ripple out to the whole room as well. And there will be a mic that will be passed around at that point. So Tim, thank you for being here. Um, I've had the privilege of interacting with you a couple of times as a student here at Princeton Seminary when you have spoken to the um, church planting and revitalization class and a cohort that we have as well. And I have so much appreciated um, your authenticity, and the way that you have shared about the leadership challenges you've encountered and how God has been faithful to you through that process. Um, so I would just invite you to start us off with telling a bit about your church, the Luke Church, and as well as anything about um, yourself personally. Feel free to add in, um, because we know that the Luke Church would not be what it is without you, that you're an integral part of its formation as well. So tell us about your congregation. Okay. Um, introduce us to your context. So I, I guess first of all I want to say um, contextually, this is where I say thank you so much, Sam, for having me, Dr. Bowens. I, I am really grateful that you all considered me, and Dr. Guter, it's been a privilege um, to share a conversation with you as we prepare for this. I also will say that it appears that I drew the short stick with Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> that um, I, 
to go first. <laughs> he, whatever he says would be the benefit of having seen. No, <laughs> um, uh, my dialogue. But not, nonetheless, again, I, I am I am grateful um, to be here um, with these gentlemen and these ladies to share with you. Um, our, our congregation, the Luke Church, I, I, there's so much to say to help you to see who we are. First of all, we are, our original name, we were, we were uh, founded on September the 12th of, of 1900 in Humble, Texas, um, which you probably know because of Humble Oil, or Humble Oil, it depends what your preference is, um, which is now Exxon. And so most people don't know where Humble is, but it is uh, five minutes away from Intercontinental Airport, Bush Airport in Houston. But we originally began as the St. Luke Missionary Baptist Church, which was a very traditional congregation. And it was um, situated in an area called Bordersville. Now, in 1900, the Luke Church was um, um, began in the middle of Humble. But the oral story is that in the 30s, there was a meeting late one evening, and it was by the white citizens, and they decided that they wanted all the blacks out of Humble. The next day, St. Luke was told to pick up their church and move out of Humble, and if they hurried, they could find some property across the highway. They did. They put it up on a, a cart. They took it over to an area called appropriately Bordersville. <coughs> and Bordersville was an area where the blacks uh, all stayed, and, and many of them still stay in this area now, uh, but the church began there. The, the, the church continued to, to do well by all um, you know, perspectives. You, you, you could say that, that it, it continued to do well, to thrive, and, and, and had a, a number of different accomplishments as, as years went by. But I will say that later in life, and I don't want to spoil the, um, I, I don't want to give too much away from the story later on down the line, but I sense that once the church went over there, there was a feeling um, of we're never going to let anybody do this to us again. Yeah. And I, I, I've labored to, to even label it a, a bitter spirit that we have been pushed out of humble. And so it began to happen generationally. So that when I was called to the church in May of 2002, the, one of the, 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 the leaders of the deacons who exercised much of the control and authority of our, our congregation uh, was the grandson of one of the gentlemen who helped to or put the church on the cart and bring it over there. So his stories were always about the pain of being ostracized, pushed out, marginalized from, from the humble area. And so I, I sensed that, that that really kind of bled into the conversations and the interactions that happened um, from that point forward. I was the 15th, or I am the 15th pastor of this church, which meant that they were changing pastors somewhere around every six and a half, seven years. So I began to realize that that said a lot um, about the longevity of the pastorate and the way in which pastors people interact, especially in the Baptist congregation, where you know typically you, you hope for a long tenure. There was a commitment to traditionalism, to Sunday at 8 and 10, but to the gospel, um, I, don't, I don't know. And unfortunately, the reality is, 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 is that can be definitive of many churches mm -hmm. in my context, is that there is a commitment to traditionalism, yeah. but the gospel runs a distant second, mm -hmm. maybe closer. Um, and and so it was all based on what was supposed to be done. Uh, my role was just simply to preach um, as, as long as they both 
um, um, shouted and cried, I did okay. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in, in my context, you know, preaching was central. Uh, preaching is central. Um, but I was there to, to make sure that I kept things static. So when I came in, I came in with this ideal that I was getting ready to lead this traditional church into this new emerging model era. And I was all gung-ho to do it um, and, and, and jumped in. And so I, I had all these ideals. And they were beautiful, I think, to, to help the church. But they were um, there was some struggle, I think, because of the fact that it changed the traditionalism and the tribalism of the church. So as the church grew, which we did very quickly, um, that's when all the, the conflict began. Now, um, I, I will say, um, um, and, and I, I won't go into the, the depth of the, of the conflict that happened with us um, and what that led to, but I do tell a story in the book called Stand, um, Learning to Lead Through Conflict. I, I tell quite a bit of it. But our, our context, again, is... Um, I think for many African-American congregations from a liberation perspective, my way of reading the text uh, uh, is, is always to see um, our congregation, our members from, from the marginalized perspective through the eyes of, of the oppressed. And so that's how I'm reading it. That's, that's how I'm, I'm attempting to draw them in to see themselves. Now, whether you're talking about ancestral struggles and challenges or whether you're talking about present-day marginalization and the feeling of having to deal with inequities on a day-to-day -day basis, um, even more so in, in this climate that we're in now. Um, so in, in, in coming in, I began to, to attempt to, to direct the church through, through, through making preaching central, and so I began this series on Nehemiah, and I'm going to do expository preaching, and I'm going to walk them through books. Well, the challenge is, is that we began to live Nehemiah. That's, mm. yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that, we really did um, live it, um, and and so, but but we're we're really working towards making the word central, and then Sunday school, of course, we have it. But I've always since, and in all transparency and I will do as much as I can possibly today, that I, I felt that the, the Sunday school, Sunday school for me was fundamental in who I am and, and what it shaped me to be, but from a, from a, a practical standpoint, what, how we were engaging in it, uh, organizationally, it felt just simply a traditional exercise. You have Sunday school, but my teachers won't show up in preparation, but they're there on Sunday morning, and they flip through, and here's the lesson, and we walk through through it. Um, but it, that's not to limit the, the impact that, that Sunday school has, uh, because it is formative, and, and it is foundational. We tell the stories with, with a great deal of um, uh, romanticism with how I was in Sunday school, and it formed me and made me who I am, and it did. Um, but I, I was attempting early on, here's I guess when we really dive into the context of the conversation, um, in trying to shift the church and really develop a missional disciple, per, discipleship um, committed congregation. And so I, I came up with this idea and said, and it was an honest it's true that the church is growing and it's you know we're, we're we're breaking out the doors, and so now we have to um, we have to shift. We we have to figure out something new. We went from two services to three services. Those were all packed. We're in a small church, though, but the services are all packed. And so I said we we've got to change something. And part of me was wanting to get rid of the of the Sunday school, but to shift it to something where we had spiritual formation on a weekly basis, where it was not just simply on Sunday morning. It was a weekly basis. I had always envisioned classes that were on um, where you would walk through particular um, books of the Bible, um, but they were also um, uh, focused on particular areas. If you talked about finances and, and scripture, or you, you talked about our, our marriage and so forth. Um, 
but but I, I shifted it and went through all this thing of, of um, looking at uh, graphs and everything and finally said, you know what, we've got an issue here with Sunday school, what do we do? And finally the church kids say, well, I think we were probably going to meet to um, one of the members in the meeting. Pastor, we should, we should offer classes on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday nights because our congregation is... Um, it's it's a uh, congregation where many of those are transplanted. They're they're not haven't been there all their lives. They're coming from a thirty mile radius. You know, some of them are from Houston. They're from Spring. They're from the Cleveland, Texas area, Porter, Texas. So they're all coming here. They don't have family much like mine. So if they've got small children, they're you know they're not able to to have the children come early and stay all day. You know, uh, they 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 work downtown many of them. So they're not coming back for evening services. So. Pastor, why don't we why don't we do some formation classes on Tuesday and Thursday? I said, really? You think so? And I said, yeah. So I said, oh, why don't we try it? And and we did. And uh, that that was years ago, maybe a decade. And so that's where we are now, mm-hmm. which has worked very well with the spiritual formation of our church. Mm-hmm. We, we were we were doing it, I think. Early on, throwing darts um, with with me myself and, and my regular pastor, and I, I hired a gentleman um, over ministry development who was helping to formate the classes. But then um, he transitioned to a church in um, uh, Marietta, Georgia, and so that's when we went and hired a. Uh, I went and found a young lady in New York City who did spiritual formation mm-hmm. at a congregation there hired her, and she's been with us two years um, as our Minister of Spiritual Formation and Assimilation. And so she creates a curriculum of classes that happen throughout the week, which include you know, evening classes um, as well as our midday and Wednesday. So we, we actually, a few, few months ago, not a few months ago, a year, two years ago, um, Again, looking at Wednesday night and saying that's the time in our time where we come together and, and um, it's the big Bible study, you know. And, and uh, but the numbers are going down. And I said, my something is wrong here. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the numbers are just not big. And I know that our, you know, our, our, the, the demographics, demographics of our church. But but why is it not that you know we don't have that many people? But on Sunday it's just. And packed in here, um, and and so um, we started to do a survey. We sent the survey through the church, and uh, people said, "Well, Wednesday night for the big Bible study is not as big to us, but what we do love, Pastor, is when you have those special nights where we sit and do talk back with you." Mm-hmm. I said, "Oh, mm-hmm. so." What would you suggest? So then we, 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 we brought together a, a focus group that was all day, and they, they said, why don't we, why don't we do um, classes that Wednesday night, all night, a number of different classes on that one night. So again, we have them on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, but that one night we did away with actual, that one large Bible study. Hmm. And so that was a continuation of what we were trying to do with spiritual formation, and it has worked extremely well. So all of that, I'd say, has been re- very um, important in really shifting our, our church to this place where we've got this incredible heart for the Word of God, that there's this desire to dig deeper, that there's this formative desire. And I've sensed over the last two years that it has really begun to transition the church, to change the culture, to change our mindset from just simply a gathering community, a traditional community that's just simply the desires to be there on Sunday and we've checked off our box and so we're done for the week at least. And, and of course millennials who they say only consider consistent church service about once a month or something and say that, they're, that that means that they are really devoted. So for them you know, you know but, but they but but as we have begun to dig deeper, um, I, I have felt a, a sense of stabilization and, and really maturity mm-hmm. in our church, which I was desperate for in order to make sure that the, the, the vision for the church is, is accomplished. And there's so much more I want to say, but I don't know that. I, 
That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's let I'll I'll maybe reflect back a little bit of some of the the themes that I'm hearing, and then uh, maybe you want to take off more on that as well. Um, so it's interesting to me, Timothy, that you that you noted that when you came to this congregation, you you sensed much more of a commitment to traditionalism than you did to the gospel or to um, really allowing um, them, themselves to be formed by the word of God. Um, and so part of your, your desire in, in seeing a shift was, or, or helping a shift to happen, um, was through preaching, getting into Nehemiah, you mentioned, for example, and then finding, um, keep continuing to try until you found ways that really met people um, where they were in their particular context as, as maybe um, new residents to this area without a lot of family connections. And, and so you, you discerned what um, the needs of the people might be and how the, the biblical teaching and formation could happen in a way that spoke to, as well, some of those other needs that they had. And it sounds to me like that's kind of where it began to click, um, and people began to respond. And I'm interested in um, asking one of these questions that, one of these five um, missional questions that were referenced last evening, um, <clears throat> that we ask of the, of the text, how are people being changed in this text? And so then my question for you is, how did you see your your people in your congregation being changed by their these new fresh encounters with the Bible through your your Tuesday or Thursday evening courses or um, the different format you had on Wednesday evenings? Um, I'm interested in kind of at what point you saw some of those changes happening. I imagine it took a while, so I just want to acknowledge that, that this isn't like an overnight thing. Perhaps it took a while, I'm hearing a little of that, and what were some of the changes that you saw in, in hopefully moving away from the focus on traditionalism? Yeah, so, so let, let me also say, just to make sure, um, that it wasn't that our church just was only interested in coming on Sundays and, you know, making sure that we did our hour and a half. They, they really, they, 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 they do love God's word. I mean, and, and our congregation is, you know, that, that, is, that is fundamental to us. But my struggle was, was that it felt like there was much more of a desire organizationally to check off traditionalism and the don't do's, don't do this, don't mm -hmm. do that, pastor, don't do this, you know, rather than really making the priority the gospel. So, so you can't grow a church without there being some focus on it, without there being a focus, not some, a focus on the gospel. Um, but our, as our, our church grew, again, let me also say the backdrop of it is the struggle with, with what we face today in, in many churches um, is, is this, now this is probably the part where a lot of us are going to get in the conversation today, is this desire to, to have um, a gospel that just gives me what I want, uh -huh. you, you know, and, and so you're wrestling with people saying, you know, I want to find a church where you're going to tell me, you're going to share the gospel in a way that I just feel good, and mm -hmm. um, how do I, how do I get to the top of the business charts, um, you know, if you can tell me that, rather than really talking about some of the um, consequences, um, some of the the difficulties in following Christ, that, you know, mm. uh, hold on to that. It's kind of the feeling at times. But um, um, so I, 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 I started to want to make sure that we were prioritizing the gospel, mm -hmm. and that our church had a had only we have longevity is if we had a central commitment. I was not interested in. We were growing, but I wasn't just interested in a church that was swelling. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. I wasn't interested in that. Um, and people look at us and say, "Now, when I took this church, we had three hundred people. We we have five thousand now, and and so we we swell." But I said, "There's no way that's going to last when the next 
hot thing comes around, if there is not a stability in our church and commitment to the Word of God. So we, we it actually started to change probably about a year, year and a half. And I started to see the changes in the people. Um, you know, these, these, these classes were full. People were coming in. I was just amazed. On Tuesday night, the parking lot would be packed. And, you know, there's something to this. And, um, but, but all of our, we were very diligent what we were doing. We were taking the, the lay leaders through very strenuous um, preparation, um, teaching them how to handle these classes, how to, how to lead them, their role um, in the development. And so, so we, we worked really hard in that aspect. Um, and I started to see the fruits of it. I started to sit in on the classes to where the conversations were shifting. The relationships were shifting. So it's not just conversations about people now quoting Bible verses in the hallway. It, it's about the compassion that begins to develop. It's about the sense of dialoguing and interacting with people that they don't know, that, that they do begin to sense the, the, the commitment to, to the stranger, to the desire to really be formative in a community, to realize, hey, we really are all one body, you know, with many members, one church, um, and uh, one body, and so, so I started to see the, the behavior, the response, um, and so that, that was, a, was a sense to me um, that there was, it was beginning to be a shift, there, and that led to um, a greater commitment to our, our worship experiences, um, participating, um, serving, um, all those were signs to me. People want to serve, uh, and, and let me let me be also. I think pastorally, you, you get this um, is when you when I saw giving go up without the numbers of attendees going up. When I saw that, that said something because you know you struggle with how do I make sure that the giving is at a certain level. Well, when you disciple people, you don't have to tell disciples. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, don't, you don't have to, you know, twist their arm. Mm -hmm. Disciples give because they realize that this is my offering, this is my sacrifice, this is my responsibility. <laughs> and, and so when I started to see those signs, it signaled to me a sense of maturity that was taking place. Um, and, and a belief that, that I'm not just coming because, you know, we've got... Um, great worship services, the music is wonderful, and we get guests coming all the time. People weren't coming for that. They were coming because they really wanted mm -hmm. to have an encounter uh, with God. That they wanted, they believed that the gospel was going to be preached, and our, our pastor was going to preach it in such a way that, that we weren't going to hear just fluff. It was going to be very mm -hmm. um, focused. So, so that was important. Preaching in my tradition is important, and preaching is important in an informative way, but it's also important that we get to a celebratory part mm -hmm. in, in the service. And so we love celebration. We love celebration. And I get excited. I, I have got the costal roots. I do. I, I got the costal. And, um, but, but we have a saying, um, you know, sometimes you, you got to be careful just trying to get to the celebration and, and you miss the importance of of, of really informing and digging to the word. So um, I was uh, telling someone the other day that, of course, we've all heard this, that uh, good meat makes its own gravy. And so you, <laughs> if, you really, if you really dig into the word and you, you, you have had an encounter first um, as the preacher um, in your study and then you're, you're preaching that, that if you really are sharing the gospel, it, it will lead to celebration. For us, it does. And we celebrate. <laughs> uh, so, so, so I, I started, I started to see a real, a real commitment and a hunger for my church, and those were all signs for me, all signs that 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 we were shifting. Uh, in those classes, I began to sit in on. People were becoming very inquisitive. Um, questions were, were were suggesting to me that there was a level of, of depth and that was happening in our church. So. Oh, thank you. Um, I'd, I'd like to open it up now to interaction from those around the table here um, to see if 
there are things that are occurring to you, things that you're noticing, um, questions that you might have to learn a little, hear a little bit more about the biblical formation of Timothy's congregation. Um, so to our speakers and moderators around the table here, does anyone have something you'd like to, to ask or comment on that you're hearing here from Timothy? And we'll uh, turn the mic on, and then, yeah. Thanks, Ross. Cheryl has a question I, I hear the word uh, discipling used a lot, and I'm not quite sure what we mean by that. So when you talk about discipling and you link it with spiritual formation, what do you think discipling is all about? So bringing uh, individuals along, we, we do it in, in small contexts, small groups, of course. We, we take the model of, of Jesus. And so um, I will often, throughout the year, at least once a year, take a group with me. Um, but bringing individuals along, sharing the gospel with them, modeling it for them, offering a sense of transparency, making sure, um, um, ha having a, a, a clear understanding of what it means to lead them to Christ, to make sure that there's a surrender and commitment of their life, and then to help them in the process of growth and development. Mm -hmm. So that happens, not, not that doesn't just happen you know, in, in worship experiences, it, it happens what we believe in, in our small groups. Mm -hmm. And um, of course I like to bring along people with me to disciple as well. So there are many disciplers in your sure. congregation and many disciples, and there's always a di dynamic movement there that's going on sure. in the community. Yeah. 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 Is that? Mm -hmm. yeah, can I follow up on that? Yeah. So your church is really huge. So how do you... Oh, sorry. How about that? So how do you go about... Um, maybe implementing those groups, and how do you go about um, finding leaders for those groups? You had mentioned um, uh, intense lay leader preparation, so is that part of it? Are those the people who lead those groups? Absolutely, absolutely. So that, that um, you know, when you start growing, that, that, that's one of the things you, know, you grieve is that you don't have as much intimacy um, with with others, and so um, you know, then I think it comes and come upon that you have individuals first of all that um, that are able to to help create the the groups, determine where they are, and then how we're going to um, um, how we're going to to focus their work in the congregation. So um, our our minister of congregation, my executive pastor. Um, I actually found him on this campus um, eight years ago. He was preaching in chapel when I was here to retreat, and uh, he was so incredible, and I offered him a job, and he, he picked up and moved to Texas, um, but he just took another church, and so I'm grieving that. Uh, so we, we need someone. But, but his job was to work with the diaconate, to work with our associate ministers, and to uh, identify um, promising lay leaders who, who could come along and, and take positions of leadership. And so he would work with them and they would meet uh, on a monthly basis and they would go through intense preparation. He had a curriculum and classes. Then when we hired a spiritual formation um, minister, they as well took a group. And so we work, we work mainly our, through our, our ministers and our, our, our diaconates. But we are attempting now to to see if we can bring in more others from, that we see some promise um, to lead some of the classes and the, and the growth. I'd love to hear more about your preaching life, Tim. Um, uh, could you characterize your preaching? How do you go about selecting texts? Um, uh, what do you, what are the big themes that tend to emerge in your preaching, and how do those relate to to what you're trying to do in the formation of the folks in your congregation? Okay, thank you. So, so our when you hear us talk, first of all, um, our congregation buzzwords are um, we build bridges for future generations. That's everybody knows that's what we do. We build bridges for future generations. We take the best contemporary connected, excuse me, the best of the traditional connected to contemporary to create this emerging model. We minister to the total person. Well, what do we believe happens when that, when we do that? 
Well, we believe that we developed it through spiritual development, social witness, economic empowerment, and health awareness. Since I, since I got to the church, those have been the four areas that we focus intensely on in, in, in developing our congregation. Everything works to develop them through spiritual development, social witness, economic empowerment, and health awareness. We actually just changed social witness to social engagement. And, yeah. and so, rather than just simply a witness, engagement now. Yeah. Um, like and that was important for us. So, um, every year I'll get away um, in September of every year. And I'll, you know, I'll pick a place. That, uh, I've come a couple times to Princeton. I just love being here. Um, and, and I'll work for a week on developing my preaching for the, for the year. And so, typically, by the time I come out of that week, God willing, I know what I want to focus on for the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if it's been a good week, I know exactly what it looks like week to week to week. Mm-hmm. If it's an average um, time of prep, then I've, I've come away with things what I want to focus on. Then I come back, and, and this is the same schedule we've used for, for seven, eight years. Then in um, October, late October, November, Actually, it was the first first week of November. Our executive team gets away, and they we work for a week, and we plug in what I want things through the year based on events, and um, and then we've pretty much got a calendar. Then somewhere around December, my um, pastoral team we will work through those um, preaching things, what I want to focus on, and we'll come up with our thesis and antithesis, and possibly a title for each one of the weeks. Um, so we will, we will know what I'm preaching on. That really lessens the stress and is extremely helpful for me. Um, but the, 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 the themes I'll, I'll work based on when I sense the overall theme is for the church for the year. This year it's Reignite. Um, last year it was Recovery. And it was Recovery because of the fact that um, Harvey had hit Houston mm-hmm. and after Harvey hit Houston it took us a while to recover our church was a center for distribution and you know we saw so much of that, so much of our church was affected, so much uh, the area around us was flooded that people were recovering, so we said how does that look in every area of your life that you're recovering, so we, we took the theme recovery for, for that year, this year's reignite based upon the fact that we felt like we would get to this point where, um, you know, there's that point where you become a little stale. You, you, you sort of get on autopilot and um, you sense a, some distancing, you know, in your relationship. So what does it mean to reignite that fire? And so so then everything revolves around what the, what the theme is. This year I wanted to focus on expository preaching. I wanted to walk through the Bible. So right, I mean, through um, particular books. So this right now I'm in the book of Colossians. And I am loving it, um, loving it, and and so then after that I'll go through James, um, and and then and then um, I think that's the second um, once we get back from in August, and um, and so then and then I think um, in the last month I want to say I'm coming back to Philippians, um, so 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 then walking. Walking through these texts, when I when I look um, at the text in, in in my preaching, you know there are some things that 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 leap out. Um, I'm always um, I think I, I preach from a, from a social justice lens, um, so that that is a part of me um, that I'm 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 looking at that. I'm looking for um, marginalization, oppression. I'm looking for for how that impacts our community, I'm attempting to envision, you know, what our community. We, we do have many who, who are middle class, but we have some who, who are who are struggling financially considerably. I mean, of course, I, I don't know, we all do. Um, but but looking at at areas in which we see ourselves, and certainly as African Americans, you can't, you know, negate the impact of, of black church and how we look at things from a liberation standpoint. So so you hear that you, you hear that. Quite often in my preaching, um, um, the, the themes like all things work together, and um, um, what can separate us. Um, you, you know, um, so 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 when I'm when I'm looking 
at the text, I, and I always try um, to, to find the personal applications. So I'm a very transparent pastor, and you know, sometimes you look down on that, but colleagues will, and sometimes you say, oh, that's great. You know, yeah. that's our church is building that. I'm very transparent in pulpit, as you know, I'm, you know, and so um, when I see myself, I, I know it's going to be a good Sunday. Tim, run, run through those four dimensions again. So spiritual engagement. Spiritual development. Spiritual development. Social engagement. Social engagement, health, and economic development. Yes, economic empowerment, health awareness. And so, and we, we you know, of course, we look at economic empowerment um, and, and health awareness. It's from a sense of proactive action, being very proactive about our, our health and looking at things that affect um, African Americans uh, disproportionately. So, Timothy, you said you're working through the book of Colossians right now. Um, can you give us maybe a, even a little bit of a um, more detailed picture about how what you're doing in the pulpit in your sermons is also um, integrated with some of these other um, weeknight studies that are going on um, in your congregation? So how is, for example, give us maybe a, a snapshot of a, of a recent week in your congregation uh, as to how um, the book of Colossians, for example, something from that is is kind of pervading the, the spiritual life of your congregation. At least if I understood you correctly, I think you, um, I think I heard you say that you, you would have met with some of the other leaders so that what your preaching topic is, is also showing up in other places in the life of the congregation. Did I understand well, that right? Or is so, it not, am I not quite on track? Thematically, um, okay. you know, it, it's showing up in, every, in, in, in all the areas of church. Now, now, when you do the spiritual formation, their curriculum, um, it, it may center around reignite, but it may not necessarily be at that particular time just them walking through Colossians. Okay. Like me preaching Colossians. Sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's more you, you work with themes, and then in the worship services, you work through particular sure. um, Bible, uh, Bible studies and book studies, um, but then maybe in the spiritual formation curriculum, um, they could be engaging other areas of scripture, but again, all under the theme, general theme of reignite. Yes, okay. absolutely. So, Thank you. Yeah, so she'll build, um, our, our ministry of spiritual formation, she'll build upon reignite and looking at, at, at that for the curriculum, but, but you know, if you fall in between the months of February and May, it's, you know, when pastor's preaching Colossians, it may not have a class on Colossians. Sure. Yeah. 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 Okay, thanks for yeah. clarifying. Yeah. Good. Um, any other questions or comments from the table here before we um, ripple out? Okay. I'm, I'm curious, um, as you think about your preaching life at this church over this period of time, how has the developed biblical awareness, um, sort of indwelling of, of a life of disciple, how has that changed your preaching? Does that, does that change what you're able to do in a sermon? Um, and, and in, what, in what ways do you have a different congregation to preach to? Yeah. Well, um, I, I think early on when I was trying to figure it out, and I've been pastoring for 17 years, so, so early on, like the last 12 years, um, first 12, um, you, you know, you're, you're trying to, to hit the right button. And so I, I felt like at times my preaching um, was well, but I didn't think it was as formative as I would have liked it to be. That it was it was intentional. I had you know topics where I worked through this book, but I don't know that I was connecting all the dots of the of the church what I wanted to see happen. So so now I think as my preaching over the last several years, um, it, it's been intentional about making sure that that there is a a roadmap that I'm attempting to guide them down, and that I would want to see some strong development and growth and maturity um, in their in their relationship and that there is that there is a, a culture of discipleship in our church and, and that did grieve me several years ago that I again I felt like we were we were showing up but I don't know how much of um, um, being a disciple was embedded in what we were doing you know and so um, 
then, then my, my preaching has been really to, to make sure that that there is developed this this love for the Word of God and, and that there is this sense of seeing um, um, themselves in, in the Bible and not feeling outsiders, um, feeling as though they could, yeah. you know, our congregation could read it from our perspective and say, I, I see myself. As someone said yesterday, I think, um, maybe Dr. Guru was um, referencing it, that someone said that for the first time that they, or maybe that they didn't have to... Um, Oh, translate. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. have to translate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's not the good. <laughs> yeah. And so, so um, you know, that for for me, that's a, that's a success point when 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 they're able to say, you know, I don't have to to sift this through any other lens. I I can look at this and and, and see that 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 I'm I'm here mm-hmm. and see myself. Um, hold on there. I'm really very intrigued with the constant insistence on spiritual formation. You talk about it, it seems to be very centering and and focusing for you. Uh, One of my observations is that the the spiritual growth in a community is often made plain by how that community deals with conflict. Mm. And, And to what extent does the gospel change the way we argue with each other? Mm. I'm kind of wondering about that. Those two families that you counted when you first came, are they, <laughs> are they still are they still the Hatfields and the McCoys? What do you observe about conflict and spiritual growth? So, 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 when when now that happened, it was all the conflict was around the fact that the church was growing. We needed a new location, or we needed a new church, and so we decided we were going to buy property, and we did. We, we bought 21 acres. Um, for five hundred thousand dollars, and that just blew everything out. So that from the Hatfields and McCoys got together and started strategizing. So um, you know, that that lasted for several years, and the, the book stand is about me deciding. You know what? I can't leave. I can't run. I'm called here, and the last thing I want to do is to take. 98% of this church go to some school to begin again and then get up there and start preaching from Ephesians 6, you know, and how to stand. And there's some young teenager leans over and says, Mom, why is he talking about standing when we left? And here we are over here, you know. Uh, and so that was my fear that, that, that it, it, would, it would not line up. So that's why, you know, I, I stayed and, and we, we were able to, to just simply stand. We didn't have to punch back, we just st- stood on the gospel, stood on the word of God. Um, so so then the, the, the church is is now um, you know, transitioning and we end up becoming the little church and so forth and so many people don't even know that story unless they read the book. They don't even know about the conflict. But our, our the way that we got through it was working through Second Chronicles 20. And Second Chronicles 20 uh, is a story of Jehoshaphat and leading Israel, and you know here comes this three-headed super army, or Atfields and McCoys plus one, you know, and and uh, what do you do? Well, we we need a word, and Jehaziel says, you know, after he fasted, they fast and they pray, and then they decide you don't have to fight this battle. All you have to do is stand. Mm. All you have to do is just march out, mm. put together a men's praise team, and march out. And uh, and you win, and so that that was formative, uh, and who we are, and so then now, um, as as we got through it, you know, there are people who know about concert, but I'm sure it resonates, you know, to some degree in, in my in my preaching and, and helping us to to make sure that that we understand the importance of of, of our neighborliness or the fact that we are. Um, we really are this this um, one body, many members, and, and understanding the integral role that we all play, but the, the sense of hospitality that has to happen between us, the sense of love that has to be embedded in us, the reconciliation that has to take place. They had to see it in me. Um, there were several people that left and, and um, that uh, came back, and they were moments of public reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Um, that were formative, and so many people who are still with me that were there, going through that, um, they they understand what it means to reconcile because um, they've seen it. Not you know, I just heard it, but they've seen it displayed. Mm-hmm. 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 I 
I think Amen. that would be good. I don't know if I stopped short of, no, of where I want it's, it's, you, 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 you actually use this phrase about meeting needs. I've often said, I think, of one of the, the sort of most negative things that you can hear is I'm just looking for a church that meets my needs. Yeah. Transforming that so that I'm coming to church where God meets me and sends me, that's, that's what we're all struggling with. How do we get there? And any insights you have on that movement and how that movement looks, and what, what you can do to get people to, to, to risk, to start risking trusting God. Yeah, that that had been one of my, you know, points that really um, bothered me that that we are in this time where people are looking for, you know, what what meets my needs and what makes me comfortable. You know, mm-hmm. I was telling my wife the other day um, we were having this conversation about millennials and um, you know what we have to do to reach millennials, this, this, and that, and, and I started to wonder out loud. It, are, 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 we, are we trying to change the church just so we can make other people comfortable, you know, and this whole thing of, of this generation where they're at, rather than making sure that we still focus on the gospel as the gospel, the church is the church, this body that, that does not forsake assembly, um, that, that we're not so focused on just making it convenient, that we forget our our fundamental purpose as a as a body of believers and as a church, and so I'm I'm wrestling with that even even now, um, but but um, I'm losing my train of thought. So. So tell me again where I was going. Not <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were doing fine. Beyond, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Beyond yeah. just yeah. the church meets my needs. So yeah, yeah. So, thank you. <laughs> so moving beyond just meeting meeting my needs, that that we really aren't looking. You know, I start. I was telling my staff. You know, I really want to make sure in this season of re, reignite that that there is this expectation for this encounter. Every time we come to worship, and even in our, our, our small groups, our, our spiritual formation, that it is not just ritualistic, that, that, there, that my needs being met is me experiencing the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That, that in fact, I just preached that this week, this, this whole fullness of, of, of Christ, mm-hmm. that, that, there is, that there is a sense of, of, of understanding that that there needs to be no additions, no subtractions. That Christ, that that is sufficient. Um, and so, when when that is our primary focus, and the intent is to hear God's word um, without addition or subtraction, but to speak to our particular context where we are, that that in and of itself will help to mature us and grow us as disciples better than simply finding the next seven-step program in spirituality, Mm -hmm. you know. um, I I can say a lot of things with churches in Texas, but we have a process in our church, connect, grow, serve, go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. That's good. Yeah. Connect, serve, go. Yeah, say that again. Connect, grow, serve, go. Connect through worship experience, engage, become a part of our community of faith. Grow is when we develop you in spiritual formation. Next piece that you, we need you soon as you come into that connect room, uh, you join the church, or you accept the Christ, you come into that connect room. Now we need you to get engaged in spiritual formation. We need you to be in the class so that you begin yeah. the growth process. And, and, then, and then we want you to start you know, serving. Um, and, and we want you to get engaged in ministry, uh, so we want spiritual formation to happen first, and, and, as you grow and develop, and then serve, and then, and then go. That's the commission part, um, and, and, and feeling, feeling as though you, you you go and begin to share the gospel with others and draw others. Um, and so, um, I, I mean, I, I guess for for us, we we really hang on to that piece of, you know, I, when I do the invitation, you know, it's this whole thing of you're brand new, you're brand new. You know, and we hammer that away because contextually when I'm speaking to our church or when we're looking at something, it's always this feeling, I think for us, for African Americans, is how do I rid myself of, of past hurt, 
brokenness, whatever it, it, it may consist of, to where I do feel like, as I said, Christ, I am brand new. Yeah. It, you know, it, it does not mean I am without that, but it does mean that that does no longer define me. Um, it, it, it is my relationship with Jesus Christ. It is what, what he has done for me and, and, and who I am. And so, you know, even last week, I think in my clothes, I was quoting to him, you know, looked at my hands and my hands were, you know, looked at my feet and they, they did too. Put my hand in the wine chain, you know, over to Jesus. And, he, and so the, those, those, those things really help hammer home for us this whole new creation. Um, yeah, and I think that's what we attempt to do with our our, our um, diaconate and our associate ministers. Um, that you know, we those are our small group um, um, classes. I mean, our small group helping develop small groups. But um, as far as saying you're with this person, you know, you're assigned to them. That's not necessarily what we do, but we. We do try to hammer home the importance of coming alongside someone else and walking with them. So maybe it is an, an unsaid expectation uh, for me. So I, I, I can be, you know, I, 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 I get angry at the church for traditionalism and ritualism, but I guess I could be sometimes as, as well. When I do the invitation when someone joins, I always say, it's always the same thing, the choir now can see it verbatim. Um, it's this whole thing, of, we're so excited to have you part of this community of faith. I'm excited about the privilege of being your pastor. I want you to know that we believe that there is so much more in front of us than there is behind us. And isn't it better if we walk into it together? So on behalf of all these people behind me and those in front of me, we want to tell you, welcome to the loop. But it's, you know, and everybody shouts, I mean, everybody, and there's a picture of me and my wife on the, on the screens, you know. But, it, but I say that the part I wanted to have home was, you know, that that there's more um, in front of us than there is behind us. Mm -hmm. Isn't it better if we walk into it together? Mm -hmm. And so that is what I think without having a, a, a particular strategy that there's an expectation that our congregation based on model from the pastorate as well as from just our culture that we realize the importance of coming alongside someone. So when someone does become part of our congregation, one of the things I think that gives me pastoral joy is hearing when someone says, you know, this person has become my friend and, and I've developed this relationship with them. In a church this size, there's always a challenge to develop uh, intimacy. We also, and this, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, this, this, we also have this thing where um, I believe in the seven touches and that's critical to us. So from the time that they come to the back, I'm always hammering home, how do we get these seven touches? Because if they get those seven touches, they, they're more likely to stay. If they don't, it's easier to walk away because there's no accountability. So we try to walk, work hard to get that seven touches and somewhere along the line, developing some sense of um, some relationship that's pivotal in your, your life. I think on the outside, I've, you know, many pastors, you know, you, you model this sense of hopefulness, and, but internally there's always a sense of um, despair that sort of, you know, runs around, hides around corners. Um, and, and so um, for me, it's, it's, it's important to confront it, you know, to confront the, the discouragement that I often feel at times, and I still get it. For the church of our size, there are always those challenges, whether whether it happens because of uh, something that was going on in leadership or, or whether it's just the weight of it and how it impacts me at home uh, with my family and my children and starting to grieve those things. Um, so so then so then it is critical for me and I think for all pastors that you know that, that we're making sure that we're developing this um, a, a strong spiritual um, discipline life. And, and so I, I, I have had a tendency in the past, especially when I went through the weight of conflict, to sort of drift. Mm -hmm. um, but but uh, the last couple of years, I have found this wonderful sense of um, consistency by really making sure I'm much more consistent with my, my reading and, and digging into to God's Word. You know? um, so, um, again, when you talk Old Testament, I, I, you know, I, I, again, I identified very well with Jehoshaphat, um, and, and so I constantly reference that. If, if you were looking at other um, scriptures, um, I could even identify with, if we're talking about scriptures, um, with the Samaritan woman. Um, 
you know, and oftentimes feeling as though um, I, I'm carrying my bucket alone. I've, I've been ostracized. Um, at times, pastor is can be a lonely place, and I know that you know even many people in our church identify the same way. Um, but there's always this fresh encounter with with Christ that seems as though it is a pre-planned moment, um, and and there's this desire to wrestle with why are you talking to me? Why why me? Why me? Why me? Um, and, and realizing that the, 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 the encounter is not designed to make sure that, that you locate a well closer to you or that um, you, you get you know, somebody to help you carry these buckets or we get you a few more. The, the encounter is designed for you to realize how Christ meets us at every, at every turn in life that gives us this sense of internal um, joy that that is far beyond the things that we're looking to grab and carry, um, the freshness of the encounter. So I'm I'm constantly constantly looking for this fresh encounter. I also um, scripturally I have identified um, with with Paul in, in this sense of, of being at, at times in, in prison um, and and having to to deal with the weight of ministry. Um, how do you do it? Well, let's sing some songs and hymns. Let's encourage yourself. You know, um, so so that's you know that a lot, a lot of how I read scripture um, is constantly trying to find myself in every passage. Um, you know, I, I, I was telling that I was teaching a minister's class the other day, and I said to them, um, transparently, you guys, you do know your pastor's sort of ritual. You know if it's going to be a good day. One of my ministers said, "Yeah, I, I can tell when it's going to be a good day. Um, when Sunday morning comes and you're walking in, and when you walk off of the beaten path to come shake our hands, we're all like, he's dialed in this morning because he's shaking hands and coming over and hugging. <laughs> but if you turn past and just turn that corner and keep going all the way to the back and really kind of didn't say nothing, or your sunglasses are on. Praise <laughs> praise Yeah, I don't know if he found himself in the text last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. story, uh, and, and I'll certainly answer the question, that when I was at the height of the conflict and I was struggling, I went to my pastor, um, William Lawson, and I, I wanted some help. How do you do this? How do you navigate? You know, how do I get through this? And so I, we went to lunch, and um, I, I, I was telling him the story and, and everything, and I was really detailing it, and I was expecting a really great, strong um Response, you know, I was just all ears and having a little um, notepad out, you know. So, Pastor, what do you think I should do? He said, Tim, preach and teach the hell out of him. (laughs) 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 What do you want for lunch? And that was it. (laughs) And I I hope it's not offensive, but, but it was literally preach and teach the gospel is what he was saying because the word works you don't need to strategize, you don't need to try and plan and plot and get your team together, he's told me preach the gospel preach and teach Tim and and he was also saying and you stay focused on that don't you get caught up in enemy attacks and allowing the enemy to distract you and cause you to be offended you stay focused on the gospel. Then. As long as you do that, it works. Yeah. It works. And and that's what I had to learn to do. There were times where I did trip to try to strategize. But as we as we focused ourselves as a community of faith that was working through the gospel, that was seeing ourselves in it, that were applying the scriptures to our, our situations, and that began to develop a hunger for the word of God. It made all those other things irrelevant to where those voices faded. I mean, they literally faded. The more our church dug in and began to realize we're not going to get caught up in foolishness. So, um, so in, in handling it, I also have over the years, because of the conflict I went through, learned how to set boundaries. And I, I, 
Um, I'm good at it. My wife is probably better. <laughs> and, um, you know, she's, I can be an introvert, very quiet, you know. But my wife is an introvert. <laughs> and she's, I mean, she's a surgeon for a living. She cuts people. <laughs> she told the congregation um, one of the first days we were there she said I want you all to know I have a license to cut <laughs> and that's all she said <laughs> and a hush <laughs> uh, but, but, but I said all to say is that she, she is very adamant about protecting our our family and our, our boundaries. And so her and my executive assistant um, are, you know, companions. They, they work together whereas a lot of things I never even see. Um, I never have to deal with um, because they have to protect us, our time as family. And then um, I, my assistant is very good at protecting me from, um, I say, peanut missions. Yeah. You know, hey pilot, come on to the back. Can you help us find some peanuts? Yeah, mm. exactly. And so I don't, you know, she makes it makes it to where I don't have to go find peanuts. Mm. You know, um, to where sometimes I'm asking her, anybody call me? She's like, oh, nothing really. <laughs> <laughs> but she's taking care of it, you know, and I don't I don't have to worry about those things. But um, so so then we. You know, we, we, we do have boundaries. Um, you know, if I have meetings, I will cancel them in a heartbeat if there's something with my kids. I canceled a trustee meeting that we hadn't had in months the other day because my daughter had her first um, meeting with her dance team at the high school. And my wife is a traveling physician, so she was out of town. So I had to go. So what do you do? Do you find someone to come over sit with the kids and then, and then go to the meeting and take notes for you? No call and cancel the meeting, and I was sending a message. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done that before. A couple years ago I did it um, from the pulpit very strategically and told them I was taking a sabbatical after 15 years. Mm-hmm. I've taken a sabbatical for three months. Don't, you know, I, I'm not, why I'm doing this? Mm-hmm. And the church loved it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, you, know, you wonder why you do that sooner. <laughs> so now every year they, you know, came back and fresh preaching and spiritual formation is happening even better. So they're like, Pastor, take a month every year. Okay. You have to tell me, just take one month. So, um, but then self-care, I'm much more adamant about that now. When you've gone through traumatic experiences like that, um, you know, and I know myself emotionally, mm-hmm. um, you have to be very cognizant because I can easily slip down, yeah. um, easily if I, if I go. So uh, my family and I, we take a break every quarter and we may take a, a you know, three-day trip or something. Mm-hmm. And we're adamant about that. Mm-hmm. Adamant about that. And then I play a lot of golf. Okay. I'm not that good, but I play a lot of golf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Tim, for your transparency.